Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That is Isaiah 43, verse 2. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am Sandra Flack, ever so grateful to be with you today. Wow, how, how are you doing? Kids are home from school. There's less structure, unless you're really good at building structure into your summer, which honestly, I'm not that great at that. You know, I try to be, I want to, I come up with some ideas, but things just never really go as planned um, in the summertime with the structure. And um, that can bring some pretty challenging days. Um, So if you're feeling the same way, please be sure to take care of you. Um, Even if it's just a few minutes to soak up some nature, I find um, nature to be so ministering to my soul. I love to sit on my porch in the morning as soon as it becomes warm enough in upstate New York to do that. And um, I sit there to have my quiet time and my coffee before um, my son gets up. And, you know, sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 55 minutes. And I linger as long as I can and just, um, you know, enjoy that cup of coffee, listen to the birds tweeting. I got a, a bird identification app somebody recommended to me. So now when I hear different birds tweeting, you just like hit this record button and it then tells you what bird is making that sound. And it's pretty cool because I'm hearing birds that I never even would have thought are in my own backyard. So I've been enjoying that. Um, You know, the beautiful flowers, if it's a sunny morning, sometimes if it's a rainy morning, that is even comforting. Um, So again, just even taking five minutes to just be able to sit in a space like that um, and soak up some sunshine and just um, a few minutes of gratitude, it goes a long way to really um, nourish our souls and recharge our batteries. And we need that, right? So make sure that you are taking some time for you, um, especially over the summer when it can be a little bit crazy, but yet there are so many um, positives that go along with that. Sometimes we just have to search them out. So I hope that you will do that. Do something to recharge your batteries. Uh, and you know what? We offer some things here 
that will also help to recharge your battery. So check this out. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. I can say in all honesty that our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community does recharge my batteries. uh, And it's such a resource of support and encouragement. I can say that for myself. I know Natalie, who co-hosts the group with me. um, She feels the same way. And we get a lot of that feedback from the other members that we just really look forward to those meetings and being able to connect. um, And it really does help us on this parenting journey. Um, Also have some online workshops coming up. I am offering an intro to FASD. This is um, basically our lunch and learn workshop, but I'm offering it for an evening in August. So again, if, if you are hearing anything about FASD as we talk about that, It is a big part of the adoption and foster care journey, though most of us don't realize it at first until we know, and then we know. Um, So if you're wanting to learn more about the the symptoms of FASD and and, and maybe some practical um, steps on how to better support and accommodate your kiddos, um, or maybe you want your, your kid's school teacher or Sunday school teacher or youth leader or pastor or grandparents or babysitter or whoever in your kid's life who could benefit from understanding the basics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, um, then this uh, one hour free workshop um, is perfect. Uh, So the next one, I offer these monthly and I'm trying to just sort of shuffle around the times to, to make it accessible to anyone who is interested. So this next one will be Thursday, August 10th, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Now I'm also offering a three hour deep dive into FASD. Now this, the the intro is not a prerequisite. You could just go right to the three hour because we cover um, the basics as well as go deeper. That's why we call it a deep dive. It's three hours worth of content um, and it is interactive. It is a live Zoom group. Um, All of our workshops are live via Zoom if they are online. Um, But the next one, that's a three-hour deep dive. That one is going to be on a Saturday morning, Saturday, August 19th from 9 a.m. to noon. We do offer certificates of completion for all of our workshops. So if you are a, a foster parent and you need to do your continuing education, you know, to keep your license um, up to date and whatnot, You'll have a certificate for that. If you are a social worker licensed in New York State, we offer CEUs as well. To register for any of these online workshops or to check out all of our available workshops that 
um, we could schedule uh, or that you could request to be scheduled for your group, um, visit our website, justicefororphansny.org and click on, um, you want to click on registration if you want to register for one of the two that I just mentioned. Um, but if you want to find out about all of our training and resources, then just click on FASD and then click on click on training and then click on FASD. You'll find it. It's, our website is fabulous and it's pretty easy to navigate. And we've included a link to the website in the show notes um, so you can easily find it that way also. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast or follow it depending on whatever platform that you listen to your podcasts on. We don't want you to miss a single episode and we want to make sure that other adoptive and foster and kinship caregivers can easily find this show because we believe it is a valuable resource. We want everyone to be encouraged and equipped for their journey. So go ahead, follow, subscribe, leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. Now, to our guest today. Today we have with us Zachary Lipinski. Uh, he is a former foster youth. He is now a security consultant for Doyle Security in upstate New York. Zach has a heart to see youth thrive and believes everyone should have that chance. Please welcome Zachary Lipinski. Hey, Zach. Good morning. Good morning. I am thrilled to have you on the show. We originally connected because Doyle Security joined our Care Portal network here in uh, the Albany area, and you helped us to serve a mom who needed some security devices to help keep her and her kids safe from a violent partner. Um, and that's when I heard your story um, that you'd been in foster care. And um, I really wanted to hear more and um, so thrilled that you agreed to be on the show so that you could tell your story. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here as well. Uh, I hope that my past and my history and what's come of it can help influence others to both learn from my mistakes and improve the lives of those who hear it. Wonderful. So, Zach, let's go back to that to the beginning or, or what you remember about the day that you were taken into foster care? Um, that was a while back. I was about, uh, it was in the ages to where I couldn't remember exactly, but it's around four or five years old. Um, I remember the instance to where I was taken away from my family at the time. Um, we were living in a trailer park in Mitchell, South Dakota at the time. And I was on the top bunk with my brother who was on the bottom bunk. And, um, I woke up in the middle of the night hearing screaming from my parents' rooms because they argue a lot. And um, I remember crawling down because I heard my brother whimpering. So when I got down to the bottom bunk, I talked to my brother and saw that he was crying. And I didn't know what was going on. So I decided to go into my parents' bedroom and let them know what was happening, trying to see what's going on in there. Um, and they weren't in the bedroom. They were actually in the bathroom because that was the only area where there was light coming out and I could still hear the yelling and the screaming. I got down on my hands and knees and looked underneath the door because there's a small slip, maybe about half an inch wide that I could try to peer into to see what was going on. I couldn't really see much, but then the door swung open and um, I got really scared because I couldn't recognize my mother's face because there was a lot of blood on it. So I took off running and I ended up hiding under the kitchen sink. And then a little while later, 
my mom had collected my brother and my other siblings and got me and we left and we went across the street and called for assistance. Soon after that, Child Protective Services was contacted and I was taken to my first foster home along with my brother, Tyler. The first foster home wasn't necessarily the best. It did create a situation to where I I didn't know what was going on because I was in a whole new environment. I was taken away from my family. I wasn't really aware of what needed to be happened and what needed to be done. And I'd always had issues with uh, trying to take a nap. I kind of just did my own thing even as a kid. And then a lot of issues started coming up. Um, they had a couple of kids of their own in their early teens. And they didn't seem really to care about what me and my brother were going through. They were more just focused on themselves. And like, this is like a stopping point, not a family that's meant to take you in and help you. They didn't seem act overly interested in assisting us. Um, I would get in trouble for small things. Like I didn't know how to tie my shoes at a young age. They would yell at me and say, I wasn't allowed to go outside until I tied my own shoe, but I wasn't sure of how to do that. Cause I kept asking them for help and I kept forgetting. Um, my brother got injured once. They were pushing him on the tire swing and he hit his head against the tree and they kind of just said, you know, get over it. You'll be fine. Uh, but whenever their kids were to get injured or they were to fall or scrape their knees or something were to happen, they would go all above and beyond, provide them with uh, all the antibiotics and all this other stuff, even though it was minor injuries. And it just they didn't really seem to care about us. They only seemed to care about their children. And we were just there. There was an instance to where their kids were playing around with us in the pool because they had a small pool in the backyard. And um, they were pushing me and my brother under the water. And it was getting to the point where I was having difficulty breathing. And it just wasn't a pleasant experience. I started having a lot more emotional problems at that point. I started fighting back. I started getting more aggressive because I didn't like how I was being treated and what was going on. And I didn't understand everything. So... Eventually, when my brother was able to go back to my mother, uh, they declared that I was a problem child and that I had emotional issues and I was sent to a group home soon after. So my first experience with foster homes was not the most pleasant of experiences, but it definitely wasn't going to be the end of it. And it wouldn't be the it would be better soon after that. Wow. So you went on, how old were you when you went on after that foster home and you went into the group home? Um, it was only a couple of months. I would say, I don't remember offhand because a lot of that back then blends together, but I would say it wouldn't have been more than more than six months at all. So I was still pretty young around five or six, four or five or six, somewhere in that range. Wow. So tell us, tell us about being in the group home. What would, what was that experience like? You were so little. Um, again, it was new because I was placed in an area with a lot of other kids that were my age. And so, uh, and they also didn't have families or they were foster kids or they were people that were in, in need of help because they couldn't be with their families. And I got placed in a location called Children's Home Society. Uh, when you first go there, you're placed in a house called Madison and they had a couple of bunk beds, four to a room. Um, it was very vibrant. There was a lot of toys. Um, it was very inviting to start with, but it was also nerve wracking because you're meeting so many new people that you hadn't known before at that young of age. So it kind of becomes like, am I, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be or how am I supposed to act? But eventually you kind of just fall into a routine 
Um, the food was always good there, and I really loved the cooking. I met a lot of people. Um, when I was there, they would take me in for psychological evaluations and uh, sit me down with psychiatrists to see if I needed any medications. They would take IQ tests to see what was going on with me and where I fell. Um, I remember an instance where they took me downstairs and they put me in front of a computer. But remember, this is way back when, so it was still Windows 98, so the big box computers. And uh, they said they wanted me to draw a picture in paint. But I got more enjoyment from just squiggling lines and drawing in big circles through lines overlapped. And I would go to the paint selection. I would paint each fill, each uh, section that was cut off with a different color. And I enjoyed the experience of the entire thing becoming a different color scheme. I'm not sure what they saw with that, but <laughs> they... Uh, they definitely did not want me to keep doing that. They actually wanted me to draw pictures, but I, I never listened. Uh, my mom did come over and visit me a few times while I was there. Uh, there was time we were in the back on one of the playgrounds they had. They have a small pond and geese are there. The geese ended up chasing, chasing us. My mom ended up hating them for it. They scared <laughs> me for a while, too. Um, after being in Madison for uh, a few months... I got moved to Vandermark Upstairs, which is one of the other buildings at Film Some Society. While I was there, I uh, had a lot of good experiences, had a few bad experiences. Um, I met a lot of really nice people who actually, I, this last year, I, when I went back to South Dakota to visit my family, uh, I ran into some of the old staff members that I had met when I was there when I was at that age. So it was kind of nice to sit down and like discuss all the old experiences we had. Well, in Vandermark upstairs, I remember um, getting stories read to me in rocking chairs. I remember trying to complete my schoolwork because they had a school on location before going out to recess. I always had trouble with math for some reason, uh, especially money. I remember it was nickels and dimes and pennies and I had to count it up and add it together and I just couldn't get it for some reason. I had issues focusing on it. Um. But while I was there, we had different events. There was bike races. I won a bike race once, lost another one. They had a baseball field where we go out and play kickball a lot. They had a gym to where we could go out and play sports. Um, they had field hockey to where it was like actual pucks, but just running around with small sticks. I loved that because I'd always – I just watched um, – Mighty Ducks. So the, mm -hmm. the when you put it up vertically and you smack it as hard as you can, I loved doing that. I don't know why, but yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. And while I was there, I had an in, uh, opportunity to um, be part of a group that kind of organized events and set up uh, things for all the kids there, and basically kind of like a student council, if as a way to explain it, to where they brought us together, a couple of us, and we would just talk about what would be done to improve things, how can we assist people, and it was it was an interesting experience. But like I said, not everything was good. Um, I had a lot of issues with, uh, I felt like I missed my parents a lot, well, my mom anyway. I don't really have many memories of my father. He did come to visit me once while I was there, and I played chess with him. While I was there, actually, my uh, big brother, Jamie, who was the uh, guy who was kind of like my go-to person, like a mentor at the time while I was there, he taught me how to play chess. And I still to this day play it because of him. And that was a wonderful experience. Hmm. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned Zach, that um, they put you on medication and you had, it had an adverse effect. Do you want to, can you share that? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
while I was there, they determined that I had ADHD, which it was the early early to late 90s. Everyone was getting diagnosed with ADHD. They had decided to put me on a couple medications, one of them being Adderall. It wasn't until many years later that they found out that being on Adderall under the age of, of puberty actually resulted in side effects. And a couple of the side effects that I got from it were um, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, and Tourette's. My OCD was doing things in multiples of four, or if I brushed my hand against something one way, I'd have to brush it back the other way an equal amount of times, or I just wouldn't feel comfortable. And um, and it wasn't counting to four as you would normally think. It wasn't just one, two, three, four. It was uh, in random patterns that I didn't understand, and I still remember this day. It's um, one, one, two, one, two, three, 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 four, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, four, four in all, and that would be how I would count things. Um, and then with my Tourette's, it was more, uh, I had sudden outbursts where if I got really excited, I would squeal or I would scream or yell. And um, I couldn't really understand why I was doing it, but it just felt good to do so. And then eventually when I got older and I started learning how to control the Tourette's more, uh, it developed into physical tics to where my body would convulse or it would pop or, like pop my knuckles, pop my jaws, pop my shoulders in certain patterns. And it just became a physical thing and less of a verbal, which even now I've still struggled to try to control as much as possible. Wow. That is so interesting. Um, one other thing I remember you shared with me as well as while you were, I believe it was while you were in that group home, you did meet your next set of foster parents. Um, Tim and Diane, I believe. Can you can you tell us about that experience? Yes. So when I first met Tim and Diane, I was nervous because in children's home, a lot of times what they would do is they try to get, like I said, they get kids involved. So they were curious if I would be interested in a foster family. And I said I would be curious to see what it was at the time. I think I was seven or eight around that time. And um, so I got introduced to Tim and Diane Myers. They had never been foster parents beforehand. And they were looking to have me become their first foster parent, foster child. So they would come out and they would sit with me for lunch or they we'd go out and do a little little events together. And they were really nice people. Uh, one day we decided that it would be they decided it would be best for me to be with them as a foster child. So I went with them. Now, going in the direction of what they are from Children's Society, there's a big hill. Nowadays, it doesn't seem that steep. But when I was a kid, when I looked back, it felt like I was going almost vertically and it scared me. And while we were talking about their house, they had uh, they had mentioned that they had a dog. His name was Torch. But at the time, because I was kind of panicked, because we were going up that hill and everything else and I was being with new people. Um, I thought they said torture. So I turned around quickly <laughs> and said, I hope you're not going to torture me. I don't want to be tortured. And then they explained that their dog dog's name was Torch. He was a black lab wonderful dog i still miss him to this day he was mm. he was very kind and very nice um so yeah i went and stayed with them and i was there for about a year this was my first experience with a good foster home they were very kind they were god loving they were understanding they worked with me they taught me a lot of life lessons that i hadn't i hadn't at the time learned but helped me throughout my time um, they did have one son, Nolan, at the time, and he was also really nice. Well, I was with with, with Tim and Diane. We uh, they gave me my own room, 
uh, I would earn allowance. Uh, it was the first time I ever bought Pokemon cards. They also bought me my first Game Boy Color with uh, Pokemon Red, which was a wonderful experience. <laughs> and I became slightly obsessed soon after. But yeah, they were very kind and understanding. They, they taught me a lot of life lessons. With the allowance, I learned the value of a dollar and trying to do my chores here and there. And at the time, not wet the bed, which was a difficulty for me, which is also something attributed to some of the mental issues I was going through. Um, uh, they taught me how to shoot a rifle because they were big into hunting, but they didn't hunt for sport. They hunt for food, which is what I developed and learned as well as well, that, uh, when you go hunting, it's to consume what you, you shoot so that it becomes part of you and it helps sustain you. It's not just to provide a mount for your wall. And they taught me the value of life, um, how to just appreciate the small things in life we they taught me how to go fishing um i met a couple of friends nearby which was kind of fun they uh took me out on a motorcycle for the first time because they had the harley davidson so they had a there was a fat boy 2000 at the time <laughs> and it was a beautiful piece of machinery that i still remember to this day we ended up going out to rapid city and we stayed in a hotel for a bit and in this hotel it's on either side of the road and to get from where the where the rooms are to where the pool is, you actually had to go down into the basement, and there's an underground cavern you can go through to get to the pool that's in the other building across the street. So that was interesting. We went to the <laughs> Aeronautics Space Museum in Rapid City. I got to see Mount Rushmore for the first time, which was beautiful. Um, I got my first leather jacket for riding the Harley, which was fun. And yeah, they were just all in all really nice people. And then Eventually, I had to uh, go back home, live with my mom in Mitchell, but I found out afterwards and while I was still there that they were interested in taking other foster kids. It turns out that they've helped many foster children throughout the years, and I have many foster siblings that I was not anticipating, and so I'm, I was their first foster child, and since then, they've been able to bring life and joy and happiness to many other children throughout the years. Mm. Well, I'm so grateful that that was such a positive experience. And it sounds like their foster home was a, a boy's dream with the motorcycles and the hunting and the fishing and all of that. That is wonderful. Um, so, Zach, when you went back to live with your mom for a time, do you remember how old you were and what happened during that time? Um, I believe I was 10 when I went back to live with them. Um. While I was there, I started going to my first public school that I remember. I was in preschool beforehand, but I don't remember that too much. Um, so I went to my first public school. And uh, while I was there, my birthday is actually the day after 9-11. And I was actually allowed to watch TV the day of 9-11 for my birthday. And uh, we ended up seeing the news. And I remember we went past it. We she was going through channels and went one, two, and three. And then on two was the news thing. And I said, hey, can we go back to that? We went back to two. And that's where I witnessed 9-11. So that happened there. When I was living in Mitchell, I was really into not wanting to wear shoes. I'd run everywhere barefoot, over grass, gravel. I'd climb trees, um, rocks, you name it. I would go everywhere barefoot. It just felt more comfortable for me at the time. Um, and it's strange because now I can't walk outside without shoes on, but back then <laughs> gravel rocks, nothing. I just plow right through it. 
Um, had some good experiences there. Met a few friends. Uh, had a uh, what was it? Had this uh, movie rental place. I think it was a blockbuster that was nearby that I would go to often, and started getting more into Godzilla, which still love to this day. Um, but I'd go there, rent movies occasionally, and watch them. Remember, this is back on VHS, so anyone who's a foster parent remembers that. VHS <laughs> used to be the big thing. You always had to rewind it before you returned it. Um, still learned a few extra life lessons while I was there. We tried doing a lemonade stand. Uh, we would sell soda to like the mailman and anybody else who was going by. And then eventually, we after one guy came over with the mailman, he bought a soda from us. And he just gave us a $20 bill and he's like, just keep the change because at the time we didn't have change to give him. So we used that to then go out, buy more soda and continue the process. So a little bit of an entrepreneurship as a kid. So that was kind of fun and interesting. Um, How was school during that time? Because this is the time that you're with your mom. You're in public school. How was that experience? It was a bit tough because I couldn't. I couldn't really focus at the time. I didn't have the uh strength about it i had watched a lot of movies to where it always seemed like the bad guy the the kid who was like the rebel was always the most popular so i started acting on that assumption and being a rebel and fighting the power um not realizing that it would get me into more trouble than what was needed um i got sent to the principal's office many times which uh resulted in a lot of good things but also a lot of bad things um I my first time ever here reading or hearing the Harry Potter books was being read by my teacher while I was there, Mrs. Brown. So that was definitely something interesting. Uh, while I was getting taken to one of the principal's office one time, uh, if you want to go further to what's going on, what happens next. Um, while I was in there, I had recently had a fight with my mother. And and as I said, I don't really wear shoes at the time. So as I'm running around with just shoes and no socks and I was taken to the principal's office and they're asking me questions about why I didn't have socks and all this other stuff. Like I said, I just got into a fight with my mom. So I decided to make the comment that uh, my mom doesn't have enough money to buy food, let alone buy socks, even though that wasn't true. It was still the comment that I had made at the time and it ended up getting our all of us taken away again, which I still to this day feel responsible and feel sorry for having done. At that point, so you went, you oh, went into it. Was it the same group home? You got taken away. Was it foster care or was it a group home? Where did you go? I did get taken to the same group home. I was placed back in Children's Home Society again. This time, immediately placed into Vandermark upstairs since that was familiar with me. And I was there for about a year. Uh, I don't have many memories of that time because it wasn't as memorable because it was just a repeat of what had happened before. After about a year there, I then went to uh, a place in Aberdeen called Dakota House. And that is where we, I saw a psychologist and had a lot more information um, about my mental issues that I was going through that I didn't quite understand. Again, I fought the, fought the power and argued and complained and had issues. And I didn't really like to listen to people at the time. So I got in trouble a lot while I was there. But I did learn how to control myself a bit better, but it never amounted to much because there they had levels. It was level one then level 2A, 2B, 2C, level 3A, 3B, 3C, so on and so forth. With level one, it's just basic level two. You get a little extra 
things. You can stay up an hour later. Um, you can go out and do things that most other kids can't do. And then once you get to like level three, then you can go to like the other side of the building. You don't need to be supervised. So getting to level three was always something I wanted to do. So I would do things like that. But yeah. Oh, and I developed my first experience with trying to experiment with food. And I had cheese pizza with Hershey's chocolate on it. <laughs> Surprisingly good. But everyone thought I was weird, including my wife right now. So, <laughs> so Zachary, you, you told me during the, that time you didn't really get attached to anyone. You had a hard time getting close to people. Um, you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. Throughout the time of constantly moving, I didn't realize until much later and much later being like in the last few years that I've been I was unable to de develop attachments to people only because everyone in my life would constantly disappear. I'd go to a group home and meet a bunch of friends, then to a foster home and I'd lose those friends and meet new friends. Then I'd go from the foster home to my home and I would constantly be integrating myself with new cultures, new groups and I'd always felt like an outcast. So I never really got too attached to people because I knew that one day they would be out of my life and they would just disappear. Um, but in that time, I also learned how to be a chameleon and adapt myself to match the groups that I was around. So when I started associating with people, if someone was using a certain phrase or certain type of wording, I'd find myself using that same wording and just kind of integrating with my own vocabulary at the time. And it was my way of kind of not being ostracized, not being the odd one out because I wanted to be a part of a group. I wanted to feel like I was connected to people, but I couldn't develop those connections because I just didn't know how I hadn't. I hadn't been able to learn that. So as time went on, when I started losing friends, it became the norm to where I never started growing attachments to people. I wouldn't feel sad if I found out someone had passed. I wouldn't feel worried that a friend was leaving. It was more just like it's meant to happen. It was going to happen anyway. And I became more reclusive and more isolated because I didn't want to get closer to anyone because I knew that eventually they would leave. But again, I didn't know that I was doing that until nowadays. Right. At the time, it just it was just like a natural reaction for me. So, yeah, yeah. that's something. Survival. Exactly. Yeah. What about school? I think you were about, um, you're a teenager, right? At this point, how was school going for you? Um, when I went back to my mom after Dakota House, yes, I was about a teenager. And schooling at that time, again, I still thought that being a rebel was the best way to go. So I would constantly fight. I would constantly argue. Um, I wouldn't listen to the teachers. But I was doing better at schoolwork. Um, I still had some issues with mathematics, but most other things like history or geography, PE, I loved because at the time I was very energetic. Um, but I would still try to be a rebel sometimes during like English class because I still to this day hate English. I'd get in trouble for like reading a book or doing something else and not paying attention. So I get sent to the principal office occasionally. Um, eventually, I got to the point where everyone in the school kind of knew who I was since it was, it wasn't overly a big school and no one really liked me. So everyone in the school from even down to like kindergartners and first graders all the way up to the high schoolers would all kind of make fun of me and call me names and put me down and it would hurt. But 
I didn't know how else to act at the time. So I thought that I just keep doing what I'm doing and try to ignore them. And again, it further ostracized me and further isolated me, which then I became more doing my own thing. And then when I was at home, I had five siblings. I had my brother, Tyler, my sister, Kelsey, my brother, Austin, my sister, Kayla, and my sister, Kennedy. My brother, Tyler, and Austin would spend time together. Kayla and Kelsey would spend time together. And Kennedy was still pretty young. She was always spending time with my mom, which, again, still left me alone majority of the time. So I spent majority of my time even at home there on the farm just doing my own thing, whether it's out in the trees building forts or up in my room playing video games or out in the barn trying to clean it up so I can have my own space. I never really got close to anyone. I did have a... Uh, eighth grade graduation dance, which was one of the worst experiences of my life because I knew how people felt about me. So I went because it felt like, you know, this is something you were supposed to do. I was wearing my grandfather's old outfit because it was the only about nice clothes I had and it was pretty big on me. Um, but while I was there, there was a point where everyone had to partner up and they had to pick all the boys had to pick a girl to dance with. And it came down to where it was just me and two girls and I didn't like the idea of forcing someone to have to dance with me. So I said, you guys just pick. But the teachers kept yelling at me saying, you need to pick. It's the guy who's supposed to pick. Um, just pick one. And the girls were like, just pick one of us. And I was too nervous and scared to select because I didn't want someone to have to be, you know, close to me at the time. Because, again, walking down the halls. A lot of times there was girls that would literally throw themselves against lockers to avoid me because I was just that weird kid and no one really liked me at the time. So it didn't end well for that. But eventually I got into a lot of trouble while I was there, um, had to get restrained by the principal while I was at the while I was there. And eventually I ended up getting kicked out of that school, um, ended up going to another school afterwards, but. Uh, while I was in the original one during that summer or yeah, during the summer, I had to take tests in order to graduate because I wasn't in school. So they're basically having me homeschooled. And they said, as long as I pass all the tests for all the classes and did all the work, then I can still graduate. I ended up not completing that. So I got held back a grade, but I went to the other school first, which was Scotland. And within 10 days, I was kicked out of there. And that was not, my parents were not happy at the time. Well, my <laughs> mom and my stepfather. So when I went back to the other school, which was Trip Delmont, I ended up getting held back a grade. And I was in seventh grade rather than sixth, rather than eighth grade at the time. And um, this is actually before the whole dance thing, now that I think about it. Because I, when I went into eighth grade, we had the dance from when you're graduating from middle school to high school, it's a dance. While I was in seventh grade the second time, I, even though now I realized, like I said, I had learned all that information beforehand, it just felt like I was learning it for the first time, but it was easier because I already had all the information. And that's when I started becoming more comfortable and more excited about schoolwork. I started taking more interest in my schooling. Um, math became really easy. Uh, everything just kind of clicked in and I felt more intelligent than at the time. And it became easier to start learning more information because I felt like I can I can do this. I have the confidence. I have the ability. And that confidence helped improve me throughout the course of the years. 
Um, that's also the first time that I started getting into reading. And the first thick book that I read was Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix. So that was my first big book. And since then, I have nice. gotten a lot more into reading and have led, read a plethora of books since. Aww. So now you graduated, though. You graduated high school. Um, yes, I graduated high school. Um, at the time, I had got sent somewhere else. And in that time, I graduated high school in actually three years. So technically, I graduated on time. Uh did very well there. And because of the confidence I developed by getting held back, I was able to excel in a lot of other areas. And by the time I had finished high school, I was already doing math and science on a college level based on the tests that they had given me to determine everything. So that confidence really benefited me throughout that time. I love that. So what happened after you graduated? What was the next step in your life? Uh, the next step after I graduated, I went to a place to where it's basically like a holding to kind of get you introduced back into society because after being in group homes and everything for so long, you don't really have a lot of the skills to live in normal society, like getting rent, um, all that stuff, and you're more independent. So I ended up going to a place called West Farm, and uh, there I had my own room, I had my own key, uh, I started going to work. I, I got a job uh, working at a place that's similar to Market 32 here. And I was working on the deli counter. So that was my first job. Um, I ended up working there for about three years, which was kind of nice. Uh, but while I was at West Farm, my isolation started taking into effect to the point where the staff members there started noticing. I would spend majority of my time in my room uh, watching shows uh, playing games, just kind of ignoring the rest of the people to where eventually they end up locking me out of my room because they said I needed to interact with others. I just wasn't interested in interacting with anyone at that time. So that's what happened there. By the time the end of that came around, I had enough money saved up to where one of the staff member helped me buy my first car, which was the 1991 Cavalier RS. And then I got sent to a place called ILPP, uh, Independent Living Program our independent living participant program. And there you pay rent, but all the rent that you pay at the end of the time where you move out, which you're only allowed to stay there for a year, all that money that you did pay in, you then take with you and it's basically yours. So it was, it was to develop the ability to learn how to pay, invest, and um, basically become more independent. Uh, I had my own apartment when I was there, uh, started cooking food for the first time, um, had a lot of pork chops. That was the easiest thing to cook <laughs> and got really into soda. And that's actually when I bought my first gaming system, which was an Xbox 360 with Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3. And then I got really into like Fallout 3 and Skyrim at the time. So I started delving more into gaming again, isolating, but I was still working and I met a few good friends at the time and uh, had a lot of interesting experiences while I was staying there. Wow. And then you moved around a little bit, right? And, and eventually landed in Albany, New York. Correct. I lived in South Dakota. Then I lived in uh, Nebraska. And then I came to New York. Correct. Wow. So um, at this point, how old are you? How old were you when you got to New York? I moved to New York in, it was July, no, June, June, first of 2013 i believe is when and i you first were, 
when in I your twenties by then. You were in yeah. your twenties. Yeah, I think I was twenty-one, almost twenty-two. So, what was life like at that point as a young adult in your twenties? Uh, it was interesting. When I moved here, I moved with just a box of stuff. I had a box and a backpack. That is it. I had nothing else when I moved. I had sold my car. I didn't have many belongings. And I decided to take a chance. I was living with my then girlfriend. Uh, she was going to school at SUNY Albany. And two of her friends were also living with us. We had a house we were renting out. And I started getting a job. I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods at the time. And it was a drastic change going from an area that's completely flat, having storms that kind of you can <laughs> see coming in, like a wall of clouds coming across the sky and it just kind of existing there to a place to where the the season can change within the day. And it's not something you're used to. Um, I wasn't as familiar with mountains. I'd only seen them a couple times. So when I got here and I was seeing mountains everywhere, it was definitely a drastic change. The roads were all twisty and windy. I was not used to that because in South Dakota, most roads are north, south, east, west orientated. So it's a lot easier to get around. So it took me a bit to get my bearings. But eventually I did. And I had to use the bus system for the first three years while I was here. And that was not pleasant. Hmm. Wow. Now you shared with me that you joined the Navy. Are you comfortable sharing that part? Um, yeah. So I did attempt to join the Navy. Um after I had gotten a place in Clifton Park when I moved from Albany and I was living with one of my other girlfriends at the time, I took a chance to try and join the Navy. I was working at GameStop. They had come through and they were trying to uh, recruit people and they said, you know, it's okay to just take a shot at it. So I was like, you know what, let me take a chance. It feels like an interesting opportunity. So I went and took the ASVAB, got a 93 out of 100 while racing to the guy next to me, which was fun because... I, I knew that I was smart, but that kind of gave me a little more validation. And so I got past the ASVAB and then I got put into a program to train me for the military. Um, and then as my, my time came closer to go and join the military um, and go to boot camp, uh, I got a little more nervous, but, you know, I had, I had confidence. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try this. So I... Ended up going to boot camp a bit earlier than what my scheduled uh, deployment date was. And the first couple weeks weren't bad. And then I remember going to bed one night and I just laid down, fell asleep. And then I woke up. I was three floors down in a room called the fishbowl. It's like surrounded by like uh, window or windows and everything. So there was a chief and two petty officers standing around me questioning me why I was crying, what was going on. And I don't remember. And once I realized what was going on, I stopped crying. I looked around and asked where I was. They explained I was in the fishbowl. Uh, they decided to send me to a psychiatrist at that point, And they determined that I was dealing with a form of PTSD. I had a severe panic attack. And that's why I had some memory loss and why I was reacting the way I was. And when I explained my history about how I'd been in group homes and foster homes and all this stuff, places where I couldn't leave, they said that that's probably what contributed to what happened there is that I felt trapped. I felt like I couldn't leave. So my body overreacted and I essentially blacked out for a bit. Wow. So you did not pursue the career in the military? No. 
after that moment, they uh, talked to me about more of my history. I explained how I had ADHD and all this other stuff that I was told not to mention originally. Um, and they determined that I was not medically fit to be on a ship because you can't be on a ship if you have that kind of PTSD. And I got um, undisclosed discharge, which means it's not honorable. It's not dishonorable. It's just you didn't make it. We can't have you. Goodbye. So I then headed back to home and then had a lot of issues when I got back because I was still mentally. I still wasn't there because I was still more anxious. I had more frustrations. I had more anxiety because of all the stuff that happened there and reminding me of my past that I'd repressed a lot of the time. And while I was there, when I got back, uh, me and my girlfriend then at the time ended up separating because she started distancing herself from me and I couldn't, you know, get past it and it just unraveled. So yeah, ended up being single for a few years after that, getting some roommates. That was not the best experience though. <laughs> so at what point did you begin working for Doyle Security? Um, I started working for Doyle in February of 2022 is when I first started. Oh, so not that long ago. But you told me that this Doyle Security is a perfect fit for you. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um so this is something I'm very passionate about, and and I love Doyle for not only what opportunities they provided me, but how they structure everything. When I first started working for Doyle, one of the first things they did is that they sent me, they had me go to Rochester, and I actually sat down and I met the owner of the company, who is um, at the time John Doyle, and uh, this is a family-owned establishment and they definitely care more about their employees and their customers than what they do about the bottom line like yes they're striving to make money yes they're striving to improve but they'll do what they can to improve the life of their customers and their employees along the way and they're not just all about profit when i first started i got to meet john doyle jack doyle and eric doyle all the primary owners of the companies, John Doyle was their father, Eric and Jack were brothers. Um, and I had, even to this day, I still have uh, Eric Doyle's phone number in my phone. I could call them at any point as just some random guy, part of the company. And to have a place that was family orientated and to come in and give an opportunity to people and being able to excel at was very beneficial for me because sales is an area that I excelled at. So, Throughout the years, constantly being in new situations, constantly uh, seeing new people, I developed the, I guess it's the ability to notice subtle changes in people's moods and their feelings. So I could tell when someone's happy, I could tell when someone's sad. And through that, I was able to do well at sales because then I could go out to a person and I could tell if they were worried about something, I could kind of cater to that point of view. I was tell if someone was happy about something, if they were excited and learning the information about the equipment, then I would go focus on more on equipment. If they were more worried about their livelihood and um, they had an incident happen, I would be able to provide a high amount of empathy in order to kind of like, you know, Hey, I understand this and I could meet with them through all that. It, excelled it because then I could always help customers and I became very personable to where again a chameleon I can adjust to wherever my environment is so when I meet people I can talk with them I can get along with them very quickly 
And it really helps in the selling process because you become a chameleon in selling. You can be what you need to be in order to help the customer. And when I started with the company, I told them, it's like, look, I'm not going to lie on behalf of you. I'm going to, I'm a very honest person. I don't want to manipulate customers. I don't want to lie to customers. I don't want to just do whatever it takes to make a sale. And they looked me dead in the eye at the time and said, look, we don't want you to lie. We want you to be honest. We want you to tell them everything because we're here for the customers. And that's an experience mm-hmm. I had not received in most professional part of my life is that it was always like, oh, don't tell them about this. Don't tell them that in a year, the price is going to go up and that they're going to be paying more, that this only lasts for this much time. When a customer asked a question, I could give all the information to the customer. And through that, I could become more personable with the customer, which really helped me as well. So Doyle is an environment where everything is catered to assisting a customer. We will do everything in our power to ensure peace of mind for every customer that we go out to. And the ability to be able to provide security and comfort and that thing to where you can just lay in bed knowing that if anything happens, you're protected and you're safe. That's something I didn't get to experience a lot as a child. So being able to provide Mm -hmm. that to others really benefits me. So every time I go out to a home, including foster homes or even families, being able to give them the security to know they can go to sleep at night and feel safe is a wonderful experience for me. And I love it every single day. That is wonderful. And I also know that when you you were part of responding to our care portal request for that mom who had experienced um, you know, domestic violence, trying to keep herself and her kids safe, you were very sensitive to asking the mom, are you comfortable with us coming to your house? Are, you know, what do you need? Do you need someone there with you? Um, because of your history and your experience, you do have that empathy. You do understand um, you know, where that, you know, what that mom would be feeling where somebody who didn't come from that background wouldn't have really understood how that mom could have been feeling in that situation. But yet you were really sensitive to that. So um, it does sound like you've got a perfect fit there. Um, and we're grateful because Doyle permitted you to be able to take the time to do this interview today during the work day. Um, and we'll make sure that we include a link to Doyle's website Um, in the show notes for this episode for any of our listeners throughout New York State um, who who are interested, because I I know Doyle provides a lot of security systems for churches and businesses, as well as homes. Um, And and I know that um, you're you're shining there and and we're grateful for that opportunity. Um, So, Zach, you've got a lot of great things going on still. You got married not too long ago. Do you want to say something about that? Absolutely. Um, I got married on October 1st. Uh, we had met each other. And um, when we first started talking, we met on an app called Hinge. And it's just to like find friendships, you know, meet people. But when we first started talking, it didn't feel like we had met each other for the first time. It felt like we were old friends being reintroduced and just kind of catching up on what was going on. So things progressed kind of quickly at that point. Um we were friends for a little while and then we kind of leaned more into dating. And um, one of the parts about dating that she said was a requirement is that I had to get closer to God because I hadn't gone to church in a while. I was very, you know, just kind of living my own life. And so I started going to church more and I started getting in touch with people in the community and being able to, you know, get close with other people who are in the faith. 
it gave a sense of comfort and understanding that I didn't quite get from most other places. So it felt better doing that. So I'm actually happy that she got me back into the faith and helped me get closer to God. And I continue to do so every day since then. Um, right. We got married on October 1st. Um, I can't for the life of me remember the park that we got married at, but we got married outside <laughs> at a park. We did a 1950s gangster style wedding. We oh, wow. both dressed up in suits. It was really nice. And uh, it was it was a really nice experience. And we had a lot of good times. Um, she then moved in with me last year. And we just recently bought our first house. Thanks mostly in part to Doyle. Because if they hadn't given me the opportunity, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Wow. Love that. Now, you also mentioned to me that eventually you guys would like to become foster parents. Um, why, why do you have that desire? Um, yeah, absolutely. So we went, we intentionally bought a house that has multiple rooms because we do plan on fostering eventually. The reason why I want to foster is because throughout the years, I, like I said, suffered from many mental issues that made it awkward or weird or uncomfortable to live in society. But I've also seen things from both sides of the aisle to where I've seen the bad foster parents and I've seen the good foster parents. I want to be able to be there and support the people and the kids that have similar mental issues to what I grew up with and provide them with the techniques and the coping mechanisms that I developed so that they can learn them at a younger age with the knowledge that I have and they can become more successful and they can live happier lives. And not many people want the kid who's going to constantly fight. Not many people want the kid who's going to throw tantrums all the time. But that's the one I want to be able to support so I can give them my methods of being able to control things and be able to understand what's going on in their own minds. And I want to give them the chance at a life that, one, I never had, but that I know that one day they can have with the help that I can provide and my wife. Yeah, I love that. So, Zach, with all of the trauma and adversity that you've experienced growing up, how are you doing today with all of those things? I learned at a young age to be open and honest, which is why I can say all this now. I still feel like I can't connect to people very well. Um, and I, I know it seems cold, but if, for instance, my mom were to pass away tomorrow, I, I don't know if I'd feel anything. Um, I don't have very many close friends. Uh, so that's still a difficulty that I'm currently dealing with. But... I've gotten much better at controlling my ADHD, my OCD, and my Tourette's. Um, you wouldn't really notice it if you if I hadn't mentioned it to you. It's just not something you would see. So that's uh, my developed coping mechanisms along the way. Um, I still isolate, but I'm becoming more social. Uh, I go out. I joined uh, two soccer teams that I go out and play with twice a week. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm actually planning to having my first housewarming barbecue and I'm going to be inviting my soccer friends, uh, a couple friends I've made along the way. And so my coworkers, I've become really close to a few of my coworkers, my general manager, he was tough on me because <laughs> of my issues. And he recognized it. Uh, it's the, it's things to where I didn't think I, I would forget the small things. And he would look at me and be like, you're smarter than this. You know, this, and he would sometimes hound me a bit and I would get in trouble. But at the same point, in the end, he was doing it to benefit me, and I became the stronger for it. So I've been improving much more over the time 
and less than what I had been at before. Wow. During our previous conversation, when you were sharing your story with me, I pointed out something because I, I, I picked up on this. Um, you mentioned the following things while unpacking your story. You know, as a kid, you were frustrated a lot. You had those meltdowns, the ADHD, lacking self-control, problems in school. Even your preference to go barefoot could be a sensory issue. Um, uh, socially awkward, self-isolating a lot, anxiety, problems with sleep. That's something that you shared with me. Memory problems and focusing. Yet with all of those things, you do have some amazing strengths with sports being one of them, um, connecting with your customers at work, being good on your job. Um, all of those things are actually primary and secondary characteristics of someone who was prenatally exposed to alcohol, um, highly prevalent among children in foster care and adoptive placements. So what are your thoughts about that? Um, I won't lie, before uh, me and you had talked beforehand, I had never heard of that before, but as you explained it more throughout that time, I started seeing some coincidences between my issues and what is going on. So like you said, I have memory issues. Um, I can remember things from when I was five, six, seven years old, like it was yesterday, but I can't remember what I ate last night. And it's just mm -hmm. like, I have issues converting short-term memory into long-term memory. So I end up overlooking the small things. Um, object permanence. Uh, I My wife told me to take down a basket of laundry and I didn't know what she was talking about and I kept walking by it. So eventually I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is what you're talking about. But I had never noticed it there, even though I walked by it like seven times just because my mind wasn't focused on it. So if I don't focus on something, it just isn't part of my reality. My mom had me when she was, um, I believe, 18, but she got pregnant when she was 17. And back then, I, I can't confirm or deny that she had drunk alcohol, but it would attribute to a lot of what I have been dealing with. And it makes a lot more sense than everything. Um, my mom is a wonderful person, but I mean, everyone at that age is having a good time. I wasn't an anticipated part of her life. So it's probably right. more likely that she did drink while she was pregnant with me at the time. So that seems like a very likely scenario to contribute to a lot of what I've been going through. Yeah. And a lot of times, because if women don't know they're pregnant, and like you said, it wasn't a plan, right? She wasn't planning it. Um, maybe drinking up until they find out they're pregnant and then stop drinking. But yet those those crucial developmental weeks have already, you know, many of the initial ones, very important when the brain is being developed and, and the nervous system and all that are affected. So um, it is, there's, there, it's, it, if FASD affects one in 20 school age children in the United States. And then there's a huge disproportionality there, there's it's like over 80 percent of kids in foster care out of home placements um, group homes and even adopted placements uh, my, my own kids included my my I'm an adopted mom of five my youngest two teenage boys adopted internationally both have fetal alcohol syndrome so 
Um, that's one of the reasons why I became a trainer um, and, could, and, and could be um, educated and, and um, professionally trained so that I could then train parents and caregivers and other professionals um, to help support these kiddos better so that they have better outcomes in the end. So I just wanted to, to share that with you. I was all of those little all of the symptoms, as you mentioned, different things, you use the exact wording for symptoms that are actually part of being prenatally exposed. So um, just wanted to point that out. Um, you did choose the verse that we opened the show with today. So I wanted to ask you about that. What does Isaiah 43 verse 2 mean to you? When I was looking around for different verses to go through and I had checked with my wife to get some advice on that, I came to select that one with her, like her input, but that one to me makes it seem like no matter all the hardships that you go through, all the frustrations that you live on and everything that might come over and cause pain to you doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be able to become better at the end, that God is going to walk with you and he'll be there standing next to you throughout all the pain and eventually he'll guide you to where you need to be. That is wonderful. Let's see. So I wanted to go. That was fabulous. I love the verse and I love your heart behind that um, and why you picked it. So, of course, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose anyone. But again, as a parent of two kids with FASD and as a trainer, um, you know, you've gone most of your life um, not really having any idea that prenatal exposure prenatal exposure to alcohol um, is possibly part of your story. And sadly, that is quite common. Um, most adoptive and foster parents have no idea. Um, and, and like I said, my two boys were exposed. Most kids in foster care, um, out-of-home placements are either not diagnosed or they are misdiagnosed. And that's why I'm passionate about providing that training. We want to help foster and adoptive parents um, because we want to see kids thrive, right? Most of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents, many raising kids with, you know, very much the same challenges that you, Zach, grew up with. So as we wrap up, um, I'd love for you to share a word of encouragement for our listeners. Um, I personally feel that don't give up. Just because the person's or the child's having issues, just because it seems like there's no hope or that they'll never learn, it doesn't mean that a situation's impossible. One, with the power of God, anything is possible. And two, they just need the right person. And you can be that right person. It just takes a little bit more effort on your part. And that understanding, it comes with time. So you may not understand it right now, but Give them some more time, be there for them, listen to them, give them a voice in what's going on in their lives. And you'll see how things start to change because sometimes they just feel like they don't have control. And to be able to get a little bit of control in their life, it might make the biggest changes that you wouldn't have expected. So don't give up and stay there and be that pillar of support that they need in their lives that they haven't had thus far. Mm, such wonderful words of wisdom. Zach, thank you so much for bravely sharing your story with us today. You've inspired me. I know our listeners will be inspired too. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. 
And thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope you were inspired by Zach's story. Um, incredible insight into really the, the struggles and the challenges of a kid in foster care um, coming up through. And then even, um, you know, because, because of what I know about FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, just so many things stood out to me as he was sharing his story that are actually primary symptoms of FASD and even secondary um, characteristics. So um, just how the, many of his, I, I can't help but think that many of Zach's struggles, um, even, even ending up having to go to that very first group home um, after having been in that poor uh, foster home that first time, um, how he was just not supported and not accommodated. And it just, it exacerbated symptoms. And he ended up in that group home and was in and out of group homes. Um, you know, and, and he was always told that he had mental problems and, and psychiatric problems and all of that when, when um, quite possibly, obviously I'm not a doctor, I cannot diagnose, but um, clearly, to me, um, much of what he was dealing with was really the result of having been prenatally exposed to alcohol, um, including the mathematics. I didn't even I didn't even mention that, but a couple times throughout the episode, he talked about how money and counting, you know, managing money and understanding money and math were hard for him. That's another primary symptom of an FASD. So, um, you know, it, when someone is not well accommodated. It just can spiral, but I'm so grateful that he is in such a good a good place right now with a wonderful employer that is really supporting for him and advocating for him and um, accommodating and such a good fit and, and just so grateful um, for folks like Doyle um, who who do come alongside and support their people so that they can be successful. So so grateful for the opportunity to interview Zach. Um, Again, hope you were inspired, but in addition to inspiring you, we also want to equip you for your parenting journey, being an adoptive and foster parent, a kinship caregiver. Um, it is challenging, right? We know those challenges. So if you would like to learn more about FASD, how to apply the neurobehavioral model to accommodate the children that you are caring for so that they can be successful, and thrive, you'll want to take advantage of our trainings. So to register for any of our online workshops, uh, you can check them out. If you're interested in having a, a in-person, having me come because I do travel um, and I do workshops all around um, the country, actually, and throughout the state, um, visit our website, justicefororphansny.org. You can check out our training that's available. Again, as always, we include a link in the website um, a link to the website in the show notes um, for the episode. So it's much easier for you to find. And let's see, if you're interested in booking an online or in-person um, session with me, I've had some folks been reaching out to me for that. You know, you just want to kind of sit one-on-one -on -one and talk through some of these things, learn more about FASD, and then learn about the symptoms that your kiddo um, is specifically 
um, dealing with and how you can better accommodate them using the neurobehavioral model. Um, I do some consulting as well. Um, so again, all of that is on our website, but you can email me directly. Um, and my email address is Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. So make sure you do that. And remember, the Hope for the FASD Journey Virtual Support Community. You do not have to walk this parenting journey alone. Um, I know that our, our group, um, we, we are just so grateful to have each other uh, to journey with. So um, check out that information on our website as well. Um, again, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe or follow so that you get every episode in your, on your device, in your podcast platform there, um, and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know. You can also find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. I myself, you can check out my profile page at Sandra Flack. Um, I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today um, and so grateful to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.